welcome back to the show, everyone. Fuse from the Turnstile, and we're coming to you this week after an amazing first week of finals. Uh, my name's Hamish, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Finn and Hayden. Uh, Hayden, what did you make of the weekend of footy after a week off? It was certainly uh, probably one of the best weekends I can remember in a while. Yeah, it was a massive week for footy. We had um, three of the four games ending in final quarter scrambles, and I also tipped uh, 0-4 this week, so I was off to a pretty good start. Um, but yeah, I won't complain with getting West Coast wrong at least. Uh, yeah, some really good finals games. It was good to see finals footy back and you could definitely tell it went up a level in pressure. Some big upsets and should make for a really good week of finals this week. Well, the first uh, segment of this show is dedicated to those four finals and we'll kick off with probably uh, what was the best game and biggest upset over the weekend, which was Collingwood uh, defeating West Coast by just one point at Optus Stadium. I was a massive upset, especially with the quarantine requirements that Collingwood had to go through and the fact that West Coast hadn't lost there all year. Finn, what did you make of the game? Even as a Pies fan, I was pretty doubtful, but just with some of the changes Collingwood made with their ball movement and even at the selection table, they were somehow able to pull off the victory. Yeah, I think similar to you, I had my doubts about Collingwood heading in. I thought with West Coast record at Optus Stadium and with a few big players they had back into that team I thought they were going to run over the Pies but the Pies came out really well and I think my Cox kicking three goals and dominating the first quarter he's a great really good finals player apparently and um, so they started pretty well the Pies and they really kept on from there I think Eagles challenged them but they were able to come home pretty strong and just hold them so yeah really good performance from the Pies. You hope we don't play back the audio from last week of me doubting Collingwood completely and um, my uh, cousin, Old Kane, shared a similar opinion, which um, Hamish showed me through the week. So that was that was nice. But um, I think it was a, a win for the ages, really, um, with Collingwood. And everyone had their doubts. And everyone was kind of just saying that they wouldn't feel think any less of Collingwood if they lost because all the odds were stacked against them, playing West Coast at home with their record and having to travel and all those sorts of things. So I think it was... Um, you know, pretty good um, winning that, especially leading into the finals. I think that puts them in pretty good standing. So um, I think you'd be pretty happy with it, Hayne. Oh, yeah. Well, even though I said I doubted them, I did tip them. So really, I should say I never had any doubt at all. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess coming from a supporter's perspective, I definitely think it's one of the best wins I've ever seen the club have, uh, not only because of the final stage, but just all of the circumstances leading up to it, the quarantine and even... Uh, some of the media doubt of course the front page dirty pies got a a lot of kind of attention during the week and actually seemed to drive us kind of motivated for the team but it felt like a lot of this game revolved around the ruck battle and uh, Nick Natanui absolutely dominated again 17 disposals 24 hit outs and seven clearances yeah it seems like he's got the um, upper hand on Brody Grundy just like um, Grundy's got it up on Tim English so (laughs) <laughs> you can see why they ran that second ruck too. Well, I guess Tim English uh, has it over Andrew Phillips. I guess it's just kind of sliding. <laughs> it was kind of funny because somebody said during the week, oh, Grundy struggles against players like Nick Nad and uh, I can't remember who it was, but the response was, uh, what other player in the competition is like Nick Nad and He's a pretty uh, unique in his skill set, just his athleticism and uh, reach when he goes in the ruck. But... You touched on that second ruck and it was quite interesting because centre clearances was how West Coast were getting all their goals. They got five straight out of the centre bounce, but 
was Collingwood not only opting to include Darcy Cameron at the selection table, but at the death, uh, deciding to actually have him ruck against Nick Nat, deciding he was the better matchup over Grundy. Uh, Hayden, what did you think of that strategy? Yeah, well, I mean, it was interesting because as the game went on and West Coast was starting to win those clearances, Grundy was seeing less and less time starting in the centre. We saw him start on the bench. Uh, I want to say it was at uh, three-quarter time uh, coming into the fourth quarter early, I believe. Yeah, at half-time um, and at three-quarter time. So, And it was at the end of the game as well. So the final centre bounce, they opted to go with Cameron over him. Yeah, no, it's such a strange thing. I think Grundy did do a pretty good job, all things considering, but... Nick Natanui, I think he's just sort of he's just become the um the all star ruck at this stage. Um, he outdid Gorn earlier in the year, and now Grundy, the two all Australians last year. So you'd have to think there's a new king. Yeah, I definitely think you have a point there. It was uh, it was interesting. Nathan Buckley admitted the plan going in was to have Cameron against Oscar Allen at stoppages to try and expose him. But as the game went along, uh, they decided to switch strategy and it was actually legitimate plan. Like they meant to have Cameron going up against Natanui the most. So I guess it just spoke to them thinking that a 10-game player could compete against Nick Natanui better than a two-time All-Australian Ruckman in Grundy. But I think apart from the semi clearances, the Pies seem to get on top during general play, thin, especially with uh, some West Coast midfielders having a down game and uh, just some Pies standing up around the ground. Yeah, I think, and as you mentioned, that ruck battle, I think the probably the Pies midfielders were just happy to let Nick Nat have the majority of the ruck and just rove to him. And you saw how tight the Pies midfielders were able to play and especially how Greenwood played on Kelly. like He dominated him for most of the day and was able to have one more touch and lay eight tackles and was really good with his pressure in there. And that lets guys like Taylor Adams, who's had a fantastic season and really stood up on the weekend, had a massive night, and he definitely came up clutch late in the night with that big smother, which I think was really typical of his season. So I think they were really good in that midfield and they were happy to let Nick Nat do his thing and it really paid off for them, I think. Did you love that five minutes from Mason Cox as much as I did, Finn? Yeah, I didn't mind it. It had strokes of that uh, that performance he had against Richmond a few years ago. So the big American coming up clutch, it was it was interesting. It was good to see. Yeah, well, I love love seeing him give it to the West Coast supporters after all their booing. He was there telling telling them to shush, and um, <laughs> I think it was good too. Even after that sort of five minutes of dominance, he still sort of transitioned it later into the game by bringing the ball to the ground and giving the other forwards a chance so I think it's been a pretty good um, inclusion back into the team this year yeah he's uh, definitely had a good probably back third of the season and of course Brody Majacek kind of took over in the second half kicking up three goals including two in the final quarter and a absolutely ridiculous snap from the left boundary which I think James Brayshaw summed up pretty well he could have 15 more tries at that and probably miss it so it's <laughs> a pretty clutch uh also for Liam Ryan for the Eagles, had a really good game. It was exciting to see him go up against Maynard. And even though Ryan definitely beat him, it was kind of funny seeing Ryan offer him the pill when he took a mark over him. And just Maynard's uh, want to compete all game, even though he's being beaten. But I guess kind of uh, looking at the Eagles now, not a lot of people expected them to lose in the first week of the finals, especially when going back to the start of the season and a lot of people thought they'd make the grand final and even be the Premier, but you'd have to say, Hayden, it's a pretty disappointing year overall for a side that went all in, they got Tim Kelly, but just felt like a lot of things uh, didn't suit them this season. I mean, they'll definitely be playing the victim card, no doubt about that, but um, 
<laughs> it is as you say I think um, they didn't do well on the road especially up in the north with the wet dewy conditions it just didn't suit their play style and you could see when they returned home with the home crowd it definitely made all the world a difference so yeah especially with the addition of Tim Kelly uh, I reckon they would have expected to go further but yeah it's definitely a disappointing result for them but um, not to say I'm displeased with that but it is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've mentioned like throughout the this year on the podcast that we have thought that the Eagles have struggled in games and they've essentially got into finals off the the games that they've won in Perth. So I think without that hub, like the ability to play in Perth regularly, they might have struggled a bit more this year. So the Pies were able to expose that and they got the win over them. Well, it's definitely a really entertaining game and we move on to a game earlier that day, which was the Saints against the Bulldogs and it was the Saints just getting over the line to win their first final since 2010. And Hayden, I think it would be pretty fair to say that it was probably on the back of their big men just really stepping up and exposing the Bulldogs all over the ground. Yeah, they have gotten a lot of credit, haven't they? And um, Paddy Ryder too, I think, was named best on ground with that performance. And it's such a shame to see him in the dying minutes of the game. I think he did his hamstring, so... And that's going to have massive repercussions for their game against Richmond. But I think, um, and a lot of people also commented about the one-sided umpiring, the Saints still overcoming them as well. So um, it definitely was an interesting game. It wasn't at all how we all thought it would play it because we all tipped um, Bulldogs, didn't we? Yeah, I think we did. And we predicted that their midfield would be too good. We just saw that elite talent there. But we might have probably just underestimated just how good the Saints would be uh, with all their tools around the ground and... I think you even made the comment after the game that you thought they had some of the best young talent in the league, the Saints. Yeah, I think so. Like, when you look at their spine, like guys like Caulfield, who's been so impressive this year, Clark down back as well, and guys like Steele and Ross coming through that midfield, along with Jones and Hanabry supporting him, and down forward you got guys like King. It's a pretty good. There's some good young talent there, and a lot of contributors across the field. And I think they were they probably were more consistent across the ground than the dogs. Like when you look at their midfield, they all chipped in. Hanabry, Ross, Steele, Jones were all able to have an impact, while the dogs were hit and miss. And I think especially with the way they played the two rucks, Ryder and Marshall again, which has worked all year for them, worked really well again on the weekend. It was they were all over English, and I think that was a really big point of the game. Yeah, Saints were pretty highly praised for their courageous play style in taking risks, especially in like a final too. Was, and um, they were just sort of, you know, going for those risky kicks and backing teammates to win the contests. And that sort of, the Bulldogs, it wasn't until the fourth quarter where they kind of basically adapted that play style and that was what created that high intensity final quarter. So that was really exciting to watch. I guess, Finn, what did you make of the Bulldogs? Because we did touch on the fact that we thought that midfield would be too good and Bailey Smith, McRae and Bontempelli all had really solid games but I thought one of the most interesting matchups was Caleb Daniel against Jaron Geary who played as a defensive forward because Daniel was probably the Bulldogs best arguably with 26 disposals and a goal but Geary kept him accountable. He took four contested marks and kicked two goals. Yeah, I think Geary's been able to do it a few times this year, go forward as that defensive player and hit the scoreboard, which does create a problem for the opposition defense. And he was able to do it on the weekend. I think Daniel's always going to find the ball, and I think Geary was happy to let him do that. But as long as Geary was able to make an offensive impact, then that probably evened the contest up. I think we've seen this year from Daniel how good he is down back. He's able to find the ball and 
arguably one of the best disposals in the league by hand and by foot. So uh, it's probably hard to tell who won that contest, but it really summed up the game to opposition players going really hard and both having a really good impact on the game. Yeah, I think the Bulldogs losing um, Zane Cordy in the second quarter certainly didn't help because um, obviously being one of their tolls and that was where Saints got their dominance around the ground getting, I think it was 21 contested marks, which was the most of the season. So you can sort of see how the game was won just by looking at that stat alone. So yeah, interesting to see. Yeah, especially with how some of their young players stood up during the game. Like, I think Nick Caulfield took four intercept marks within five minutes in the last quarter. And then uh, Max King having a brilliant first half where he took a few big grabs and kicked two goals. But I guess what do you guys make of the Bulldogs now? Because a year on from last year, while the result was a lot close, it's still ultimately the same finish up, losing in an elimination final and... I think it's fair to say, Hayden, that some of those highly touted off-season recruits, uh, Alex Keefe, who's been solid, but especially Josh Bruce, haven't worked out probably as well as they would have liked them to. Yeah, well, he definitely wasn't the high-kicking forward that he was last year at the Saints. I think he kicked about 37 there, and he just hasn't been able to get going this season, as opposed to St Kilda, who in their recruiting have done really well. So it'll be interesting to see where the Bulldogs go from here. I'm not too... Not too sure whether they'll make the finals again next year. Um, I guess it'll all depend in the preseason and how they go with injuries and that, but whether there's some restructuring needs to happen, um, I'm not sure what's your take on it, Finn. Yeah, I think, yeah, similar to you, I think there's definitely question marks there and with about their structure. I think down back, I think Keith was a good acquisition and one they needed to make because there is a lot of pressure on that defence, whether teams with tall forwards can stretch them and they do have a lot of medium defenders um, and then there's questions down forward with Bruce I think if Norton can stay fit they've got a, 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 a star key forward but with the others supporting him I don't think the midfield's much of a worry because they've got arguably the best talent in the league in there and maybe the ruck with English it remains to be seen what their plan with him is so yeah, there's a few question marks surrounding them. It'll be interesting to see how they recruit and how they structure up for next season. Definitely, it'll be interesting to see what they can do if they can improve uh, their kind of position or record in the finals. And one team that was able to improve their record on last year was the Brisbane Lions. It was the same match, a qualifying final against Richmond, and they managed to end their 15-game losing streak to the Tigers and their. 11-year drought without a finals win. It was a really impressive performance as opposed to the last two times where they played them, where they were in the game, but some inaccuracy cost them and Richmond were able to stretch away. It just felt like they put together a game plan that really countered the Tigers' game plan with just being able to intercept the ball against them. Uh, Hayden, what did you make of this performance? Uh, we both tipped Richmond, I think, thin tip Brisbane, but... I was really impressed with just how you could say they went out with a different attitude and especially during times in the second and third quarters were just able to get on top. Yeah, we've touched on the game plan. I think it was interesting because it it really played out like a mirror image of their previous encounters where generally it was Brisbane that would control the early contested possessions and clearances and territory control, but then it was not being able to convert into goals and they... What was it last time they scored four and 17, which, you know, had they kicked straighter, they definitely would have won. But um, it was really interesting to see that, the way it flipped like that. And um, I'm not sure, what was your take on the umpires there, Finn? Because 
the free kick count was 17-11 in, in favour of Brisbane. I know Damien Hardwick kind of said at halftime that he was putting a bit of blame on the umpires, which he generally never does, so that was interesting. But um, whether they were just playing undisciplined or not, or whether that just comes with Richmond's game style. Yeah, it's probably hard to tell like how much influence they have. Uh, if it's noticeable, then it can definitely swing a game, and it's strange that Hardwick made those comments because, as you said, he's not usually one to single out the umpires. But whether that came with the different way that Brisbane played, as you mentioned Hamish there, I would inter- um, intercept the ball a lot more and really press up on Richmond and put a lot of pressure on them. Whether it came from that, I'm not sure. Um, what do you think, Hamish? Uh, I think it's quite interesting because some of the narrative after the game has been whether the Tigers just kind of got a bit over aggressive because you're almost equated to the old saying everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And there was a lot of kind of similarities to their loss to Port Adelaide where uh, in that game they gave away a costly 100-metre penalty and the same thing happened in this game as well. So... Uh, look, I didn't think the free kick count was unwarranted. I definitely think it had an impact with some of the costly frees the Tigers gave away, but they were probably arguably there. And I do think it's interesting that some people think the Tigers just got a bit arky because for the first time in a really long time, that you know really well-established game plan and system was being challenged. But to Brisbane's credit, it was to the way they played and a lot of key players stepped up. The other thing too that the um, I think it was Daisy Pierce harped on about was not, not having um, Tom Lynch in the side and Richmond kept sort of going with that game plan and bombing it into the 50 and maybe Chol, who's clearly not as experienced, had the job on Harris Andrews who had the upper hand on him basically the entire game and um, I, I'm not sure whether like you guys would agree or not but I think having Tom Lynch on the side definitely would have helped and drawn attention away from Jack Rewalt who had um, trouble getting going as well so I think he definitely needed his partner. Yeah I definitely agree with you there because as you mentioned um, not only did Andrews beat Shoal but they put Lester on Rewalt which allowed Andrews to kind of play the more loose man style just punch away intercept the ball a lot which was kind of in the style you'd expect of someone like Dylan Grimes or Nick Flostone who Brisbane managed to shut down as well. I think another key out, even though it happened a few weeks ago, was having no Afan Soldo because it felt like that uh, Steph Martin and Oscar McInerney just worked over Nan Curvis in the ruck and touching on Chol again, he wasn't really able to compete against them thin. Yeah, I think Chol were with that less experience and Martin and McInerney who work well as a ruck duo and they've been able to do that all year. They were able to really dominate the ruck. I think Nankervis had quite a good game around the ground. I think he was able to pick up maybe 16 disposals. But, yeah, in the ruck, I think they, they dominated and were able to contribute around the ground. I think McInerney hitting the scoreboard as well. So that really helped out Brisbane's midfield. As I thought that Brisbane were going to win the clearances and um, the Tigers were able to win them early, but then they were able to bring that back and... Guys like Lyons and McCluggage through that middle were really important with Neil having a good second half and definitely Rich um, providing a lot of run and a lot of marking ability off halfback as well was really important. Yeah, I think that's a really good point you guys are making about the rucks because Ivan's got such a good tank. He's able to get around the ground heaps and I think you are right. They just overworked Nankovers who did, you know, play a really good game but it was just, you know, they obviously got over the top of him and McInerney going up forward too. 
was um, definitely hard on the um, Richmond defence. And it looked like at quarter time that your take last week, Hayden, that Lockie Neal wasn't that good, but was actually standing up because he had donuts in the first quarter, but managed to find a lazy 19 disposals and a goal. So it was pretty influential, one with Charlie Cameron, who kind of got that monkey off his back after being owned by Nick Flostone and Dylan Grimes in their last two encounters. But I guess moving all the way back to Thursday night, it feels like ages ago now, but it was Port Adelaide getting the job done against Geelong. Uh, probably really stretched away after half time after the uh, Geelong were wasteful in the second quarter. Hayden, what did you make of this game? It was pretty physical. There were a few key contests, but it just felt like when Port had the ascendancy, they made the most of it while Geelong were a bit wasteful all night. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I felt I had really low expectations for the finals after watching this game. It was, um, I think it was messy on both sides, really. I don't think Port even looked that great, like considering they won. But like, had um, Hawkins just not kicked 0-5, like, you know, I think they were in control of the pressure and contested possessions, especially in the first half. Um, I don't think the scoreline re- really sort of represented the game itself. But um, look, how, how do you take the uh, the two All-Australian um, full forwards, Finn? Yeah, it was an interesting night for them. I think you mentioned how I think it was tough that, to say that the Cats in general were wasteful in front of goal. And I think it was pretty much just Hawkins with zero goals, five, really hurt them. And I think down the other end, Dixon arguably had a better night or only had kicked a goal, but... His work to bring the ball to ground and let guys like Ebert and Motlop hit the scoreboard was really important. And he gave someone Port to kick to. And that was really important considering it was just such a scrappy game, like you mentioned, Hayden. Just tough, contested game between two hard teams with really powerful midfields. Um, The Geelong forward line, which we've spoken about how dynamic it is, didn't hold up especially with Hawkins not firing. Um, it probably leaves a few question marks with them heading into this week. I thought Port Adelaide were really impressive through the midfield. Uh, I thought Wines and Rockcliffe had really big games and also some big contests around the ground. I thought Sack Butters tap on like when he somehow got the ball out, which resulted in a goal to Peter Laddams when he was kind of having Jed Views and uh, Tom Stewart coming at him from both sides. And, even Darcy Byrne Jones' contest against Dangerfield, he was flattened both times, but the second time, because he absorbed that contact, it allowed uh, Robbie Gray to lay a tackle. I don't know about you, Thing, but I think it just spoke to how tough this uh, Port Adelaide team is and how kind of mentally set they are for potentially a deep finals run. Yeah, I think they've been able to do it all year and be so resilient to stay on top of that ladder, and I think it helps that their players are real tough and they've got those contributors all across the field you mentioned burn jones down back and guys like rockliffe wines power pepper in that midfield along with butters so strong and then having the big spear spearhead in dixon the big tough presence on the field i think it goes to show that on the field they're physically tough and obviously they're pretty mentally tough and they do look set to make a good finals run yeah i think they're young players too you want to credit them with um, bravery too um you know, Xavier Dersmo running back with the flight of the ball and where he ended up getting knocked out and Todd Marshall returning after sustaining his shoulder injury in which it was strapped and he was still able to make an influence on the game. But like like you just said, Hamish, I think Butters, he's just got such a great footy brain just in his ability to read read play and be creative with the ball like you touched on. And um, Conor Rosie, who also sparked their second half with a goal, 
I think um, they've got some great young talent coming through. Well, they'll certainly be a big fact in the premiership race, especially with having another home final. Uh, we touched on it uh, in the chat, Hayden, but it kind of feels like it's a, a 23rd man for them out there. The same with Brisbane. <laughs> there. Uh, both teams are going to be pretty hard to overcome playing home finals uh, with that big crowd noise behind them. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. Um, and because you, obviously the home finals at the Gabba, but for teams like Richmond and Port Adelaide, who have actually done really well up in the north and thrive there, I think it'll make for a really interesting contest, depending on who we see at the end. Um, but yeah, it was just, honestly, just Geelong, where um, they were, they're the number one attacking side and this year, and they were scoring 72.5 on average per game, and this game they ended with 42, so... I think you also want to credit Port Adelaide's defence in this case, like you did with Darcy Byrne Jones. So, honestly, it was a um, an an interesting game to watch, and um, I'm glad that the rest of the games didn't go that way. I actually thought it was a pretty decent game compared to what we've seen in uh, the past. There's been some pretty <laughs> bad finals, but overall, it was definitely a great weekend. So. Before we go to break, it's time for the hot take segment of this podcast. I'm in the hot seat this week with the suspense killer and stemming on from what we just touched on. I think the big call needs to be directed at Chris Scott because his record in finals, it's pretty poor after the 2011 premiership. Uh, he's won four and lost 12. So unfortunately, they, Geelong can't keep getting it done in finals. But I think I have the solution for them because you have a lot of fans even potentially some board members wondering if he's the right man to lead them. But my solution for Geelong is keep Chris Scott there for the regular season because he always gets the job done. But when it comes to the finals, I would swap him out for his brother, Brad Scott, because at two years under North Melbourne, they finished seventh and eighth and he managed to take them to the preliminary final each time. So they're twins. Nobody would notice either uh, Chris would have to shave his beard or Brad would have to grow one but I think if Geelong implemented that idea uh, they'd be set for another premiership it's a great call <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know one where you were going to go with that one <laughs> I thought you might bring in a you'd talk about how they were bad in the normal season and then you could bring in Adelaide's coach as a September specialist <laughs> the way they finished this year <laughs> uh, I think it's a bit harder to pass off Matthew Nix as a <laughs> and I would be saying if uh, talking on whether someone should grow a shave a beard, I think Brad should be the one to grow it because uh, even though his finals record is poor, uh, one thing that Chris Scott has shown is that his beard game's very strong. He's, uh, he's probably the only Australian where an ISO beard has actually uh, made him look better. <laughs> well, that's all we have for the first start of this podcast. Uh, We'll be moving on to Chris or Brad Scott's Cats, uh, whichever one you want to call it, after this break and look at their upcoming game against Collingwood. Canaher in prime position. He's got it, Joe. Is he leading Essendon to a win? A famous win. Don't go, Joe! Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, you just heard some commentary audio of Joe Danaher's uh, great game against Hawthorne early in the year. Anthony Hudson was probably mirroring the cries of most Essendon fans saying, don't go, Joe. But unfortunately for Bombers fans, uh, it's been reported today that he's indeed leaving Essendon, which was probably to be expected. But the interesting news is he's heading to the Brisbane Lions after originally seeking a trade to the Sydney Swans last year. 
Uh, Finn, what do you make of this news, not only for Essendon, but also the Lions, of course, guaranteed to at least be a top four team this season, and they're adding a really good key forward, which is probably one of their areas of weakness. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely it's a such a it's a big loss for Essendon. I think the way their seasons panned out, and they've had a lot of haters this year with uh, the choices they've made and what seems to be going on at the club. And Danaher leaving, I think, is just another big blow. Whether it was already going to happen, but just the confirmation of it happening hurts them. But I think him going to Brisbane, where I think you've said that they their medical team is so good at getting injured players right, and that's pretty much what he needs. I think to give him a clean slate with a team like Brisbane, I think he could really go up a level. I saw a pretty funny comment on social media saying, um, "Imagine the amount of kicks Bris- uh, imagine the amount of points Brisbane will kick now." <laughs> oh. Yeah, I saw a similar comment saying he makes them a four behind up inside, <laughs> like. Uh, but you have to say, if he can be like, as Finn touched on, Lincoln McCarthy and Grant Birch were both hit with injuries, just turn his career around. He could be a really good player for Brisbane, uh, providing them another option in that forward line. It was to be expected, but it's probably a blow for Essendon and it complements another one, which we'll touch on in a second. But what do you reckon they could do now, Hayden? Will they look at someone like a Ben Brown, Jeremy Cameron, or maybe even try to head to the draft? Yeah, um, I don't know. I think maybe they will need a replacement like Ben Brown. And <clears throat> considering like what Ben Brown got, he just got let go like that. Whether um, you know how what, what the price tag on his head is, but they certainly do need a tall forward. And as you said, we're about to touch on Sard, so. They're definitely not in the um, great position, and as Finn said, it's kind of representative of their season as a whole. As you just touched on, we'll look at Adam Saad, and this one was probably an even bigger blow because not only was it still up in the air whether he would leave or stay, but it's the fact that he's gone to an arch-rival in Carlton. It's very rare to see a really good player move from another Victorian club to another, and by all reports, the Offers were similar, as I just touched on. It's not like he was trying to move into state. So it seems like this is a move just purely driven by the fact that he has more faith in Carlton going forward than Essendon. It's pretty rare you can say you believe the Blues will be uh, a better chance at making the finals, but... Finn, this is definitely a big blow for Essendon while being a great pickup for Carlton. Yeah, I think so. You've summed it up pretty well there. I think it definitely hurts Essendon and you talk about how it's a blow to lose Danaher and a blow to lose Saad, but I think it makes it even more painful that, that he's moving to a direct rival in Carlton and the fact that he thinks that maybe Carlton have a better future or are able to accommodate him better. But I think he's a great get for the Blues. Adds a lot of speed to their half-back line and a bit of that X-factor, which they might be lacking, and also creates a lot of depth there as well. So I think it's a, it's a really good get for Carlton and another painful loss for Essendon. What's with everyone wanting to go to go to Carlton? I don't understand this. After after years of being so awful, like what what's the sudden appeal? They must have like some amount of money. I don't know. Hamish, can you please shed some light on this? Well, there's all the old Carlton stories back in the AFL days where there was no real salary cap of like paper bag deals stacked with money or to be fair, I actually think I read Adam Saar got offered a car as part of the deal. But some good news, especially for one of us on this panel, is that Jack finally signed yesterday. Uh, just got Rick Flair in the chat here for a five-year deal, but you must be pretty pleased, Hayden, as he just expressed uh I don't think he was ever leaving, but it's always good to have a player of his uh, 
quality both on and off the field, have his future at the club for five more years. Yeah, it was very worrying when um, they said that he was getting interest from uh, Carlton and Geelong considering that there was a delay with his contract and I think it was surrounding that uh, basically I think they low-balled him or along those lines and um, did, didn't did seem enough for someone that who had been you know co-captain for a few years there and was vice-captain this year and finishing third in the best and fairest but really pleased to lock him in for five years I think um, you know as a uh, Finn, you're his number one fan outside of the club, and <laughs> I think it's really good to see him stay. And he, he does <clears throat> garner such a huge sort of following, just the exciting way he plays and tackles. And, you know, I think um, it's really great for the club. And as a leader, I think he might even take up full captaincy in the next couple of years, depending on whether Gorn, Gorn stays up there. But no, it's great. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of Viney, and it was really good news to see him re sign. I think such a famous name at Melbourne with his uh, father before him and obviously being such a big part of the club in terms of captaincy and the leadership group and he's such a tough player and really embodies the way Melbourne play so I think it's a really good re-signing and um, hopefully he fills out his career really well at Melbourne. I echo all of those thoughts. I love the way he plays. Uh, probably the only player who doesn't love it is uh, Mav Weller. I still remember that crushing <laughs> tackle he laid on him when he went for the don't argue and just uh, absolutely rammed him into the ground. But I think it just sums up the way he plays. And thought it was an interesting point from you that you reckon he could take over the captaincy soon. But that's all the trade news we have. Quite fitting that we delayed the recording a day because a lot of stuff popped up in the last 24 hours. But before we go to our previews of the game, we'll touch on the tipping. And looks like Finn's built a pretty handy lead. He's on 55 uh, Hayden didn't have the best of rounds. He stays on 52 while I move up to 48. So, Hayden, you were thinking you were a chance to possibly uh, keep pace with Finn last week, but unfortunately uh, he was able to tip Brisbane, which you and I didn't predict and uh, has a pretty handy lead at the moment. Yeah, I think the um, the confidence didn't do me any good last week. I went into that real positive with, the, um, with my tips and Instead of worrying about overtaking Finn, I've got to worry about you coming up and taking over second place. <laughs> uh, mate, I'm like the Adelaide Crows. Don't try and be like Hawthorne or North thinking you can get this number one pick. And I guess, Fina, how are you feeling? Obviously, that you went port on Thursday and that tip for Brisbane, which none of us got, uh, sees you in a pretty handy position. Yeah, I think it was getting tight last week and I thought I'd have to pull out a few tips that might not come off to to gain that lead back and luckily they did pay off and I was really happy to see Brisbane get up and gain me a point there, so that was handy and hopefully I'm able to hold that lead into the last few weeks, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, it'll be very interesting to see uh, the tips we have this week. Only two games to choose from and we'll kick off with Richmond versus St Kilda. It's the first time these teams have met in the finals since 1973. But I think the big news heading into this match is at the selection table. As we touched on earlier, there's going to be no Paddy Ryder. And also add Jake Carlisle to that, who's returned to Victoria for the birth of his third child. And Ben Lon, who is appealing his appeal. Uh, he was <laughs> unsuccessful at the tribunal yesterday, but it's hard to see him getting up. I personally think the... Uh, one-week suspension will stay. So, Hayden, what does this do to St. Killer's chances and who do you think the potential replacements could be? Yeah, well, I think, Finn, you might have a better idea. I'm not too sure on um, St. Kilda's depth and those three guys, like, <clears throat> especially the damage they did last week, 
Paddy Ryder was just massive, but um, yeah, I'm not sure too sure on that one. How about you, Finn? Yeah, I, I don't know whether they replaced them with uh, other direct players. You look at whether the tools might come in for Ryder and Carlisle or whether Long playing as a halfback, they might bring another midfielder in. That remains to be seen. But I think definitely the blow of Carlisle coming out, especially with Lynch coming back for the Tigers, is massive. And they could really stretch the Saints' back line with Carlisle out. Maybe Dougal Howard is the only real recognised key defender there unless they make other changes. So that could be definitely a big point of the game, having those tools down there for the Tigers. It's interesting too. This is Richmond's first semi-final since 2001. So I think that really sort of speaks volumes about their... Either they, they conk out straight away being in the top eight or they go straight to the prelims and um, being in the top four. But see, this is St Kilda's first win, first final win in a decade. But, you know, they had their tools dominating across their ground with their marking ability. So I think it will be a pretty interesting game. And well, at least I hope so, because we've only got two this week to look forward to. But my um, my brother-in-law, he asked me that I tipped um, St. Kilda because he heard about my my curse. of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he begged that I tip St. Kilda in this one. Um, but yeah, how do, you, how do you sum up the, um, the midfield battle there, Hamish? I think it's going to be really interesting because I'd say out of the finals teams, while they definitely have good midfields, they're probably don't have the star-studded lineups that you think of like with a West Coast or Western Bulldogs. Uh, but I think it should be interesting. Uh, I think Steele's clearly St Kilda's best midfielder. He had an okay game on the weekend, but certainly not his best. While I think with Richmond, I'd probably back them in a bit more, if nothing else, because of that finals experience with uh, Martin Cochin in there. Uh, you've talked about it a lot this year, Hayden, but I, Shy Bolton's been incredible ever since being moved in there. So I reckon Richmond could probably have the edge there. And as you were touching on with the outs and potential inclusions earlier, I think this is St Kilda's worst uh, nightmare because they've lost Paddy Ryder, who's not only best on ground, but probably their best advantage was double teaming Nankervis like they did against English because we saw how effective that was against Nankervis with uh, Martin and McInerney on the weekend. And then, of course, Carlisle going out as Lynch comes back into the side. Uh, probably the potential inclusions could be players like Shane Savage, Josh Battle, uh, Dylan Roberton, but they don't really have a like-for-like replacement there. So I guess this could potentially be previewing uh, my tip, but... Hmm. I reckon the Tigers are not only the better side, but especially those outs, it just makes it really tough for St Kilda. Yeah, I think I'll I'll agree with you and I'll go the Tigers as well. Yeah, look, I, I will pick um, Richmond obviously as well, but the interesting thing is, um, like obviously they've got Lynch coming back and you'd think he'd surely replace maybe your Chole, but um, Lynch will play his first final at Metricon Stadium before Gold Coast do. <laughs> what a strange world we live in, fellas. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And uh, Damien Hardwick, uh, that was another thing he was quite uh, direct on in the post-match interview. He said, we won our final at Metricon. So <laughs> uh, I guess maybe just giving the Saints... Uh, a, I do think they have a legitimate chance. They did beat Richmond early in the year. And if I'm looking at two players who could have a big impact, I reckon Dan Butler kind of had an almost game in the final. I reckon he could be big against his old side like he was during the regular season. And I reckon Jaron Geary is probably likely to have a defensive forward role on someone like Grimes and Floston to try and take them out of the game. Yeah, I think um, Grimes had a pretty 
pretty quiet game. He wasn't able to contain Charlie Cameron, and that was interesting to see considering Cameron's year this year. He'd been um, pretty, you know, under form, so I think he definitely is a player that needs to step up, and another one was Jack Steele, like you touched on, who was relatively quiet. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see how that game plays out on Friday, and the next night, uh, unlike the first finals matchup, which is the first time since 1973, Collingwood and Geelong are pretty well acquainted in finals. They've met a lot of times over the last decade or so. I guess the big news at the selection table is that Joel Selwood, he suffered a finger injury that did require surgery. A lot of people reckon he'll play because I think the logic given is it's Joel Selwood. He gets up for big games, but he might be hampered a bit. While with Collingwood, they had no injuries, but it'll be interesting to see if they opt to go for Darcy Cameron again, especially since Jalon aren't as strong in the ruck. Uh, what do you think, Hayden? Well, I think it puts Finn and I in a pretty interesting position because I would have comfortably have tipped Geelong prior to seeing the Collingwood West Coast game, which I think was the game of the round, really. But um, I think if, if Collingwood certainly bring the um, sort of the intensity that they did against West Coast... Um, I think Geelong should have lost it when they got locked in their defensive 50 for long periods of time against Port and couldn't withstand sort of the onslaught of attackers from players outside of um, Dixon, like Motlop, who really sort of thrived. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm interested because I'm, I'm a bit on, my, on the fence with the tipping. Um, I, need a, I need to hear from the expert himself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um... I think yeah, the probably Selwood, uh, whether he plays or not, will be a big um, a big in or out for Geelong, and the ruck battle will also be interesting because Geelong's rucks never really have huge impacts on the game, and but with their midfield, they're usually able to win a lot of ball in there, and we saw how good Joe Collingwood's midfield has been this year, and how good it's um, been lately, and I think the the midfield matchups of guys like Guthrie and Adams. Pendlebury, Dangerfield, Menangola, Trelaw, and guys like Dacos and Selwood in there as well. I think it'll be a really good battle in there. So I think I'll probably back Geelong, but I think Collingwood will probably give them a good run for their money. Yeah, I guess uh, looking at the game, I think some of the key matchups will be Levi Greenwood. I reckon it's likely he'll have another tagging job, and if he'll go to someone like Dangerfield and I say this nervously, but I don't reckon Tom Hawkins is going to have two down games in a row. Like, I remember thinking after the Thursday night final that, gee, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be the defender playing on him next week, not realising that Collingwood would actually end up being that team. So a big job for Jordan Ruffhead and a lot of motivation for Geelong with it potentially being Gary Ablett and uh, Harry Taylor's last games uh, since they were expected to retire this season. But I've got to stick to the form I've had all the year and back Collingwood. As Finn said, I reckon it's going to be a close game either way. The last two encounters have been pretty close, but yeah, I'm hoping the Pies can get over the line. Yeah, look, I don't mean to curse your boys, but I think I will take Collingwood. I've been um, thinking about it and, you know, I think Geelong, Gary Rowan's been pretty down on form in finals. He hasn't sort of been up to his usual averages in the season and um, I think Collingwood too have a pretty solid game plan they're not over handballing it as I pointed out last week and they've actually got strong forward targets now they've got Mason Cox in Jordan Degoe's back in and we saw what Myacek can do so and that's an area that they've been really been struggling with and yeah so I think it's also sad to see that Gary Ablett this could potentially be his final game ever um, ever since his debut way back in 2002, which is just 
so hard to believe. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Collingwood. Yeah, well, I'll know who to blame if Collingwood uh, <laughs> lose this week. And I guess if it is Gary Ablett's last game, it gives him more chance to start up a YouTube channel with his dad. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what happens there. Those are our tips, only two games to preview. So we'll move on to our panel question for the week. And fittingly, it's finals themed. And kind of like early in the year when we talked about an underrated game, uh, this week I wanted to know what your guys' underrated finals moments are because we always see the video clips of stuff like He Shaw's mother, uh, Nick Davis's goal, or Leo Barry, you star. There's <laughs> definitely a lot that go out in all the hype and video packages each year. But I guess I'll start with you, Finn. What's the underrated finals moment uh, in your opinion? Yeah, obviously, like you say, there's so many moments you can choose from, but... I decided to go a few years back and pick a moment from the the Doggies 2016 finals run and obviously their game against the Giants in that prelim where they scraped home and able to get themselves into that grand final and eventually win it was such a good game. And the moment I really liked in that game was, I think, a real coming-of-age moment for one of their stars in Marcus Bontempelli. I think it was late in the quarter and uh, down back Matthew Boyd, I think, combined with McRae and maybe Dunkley, and they got it to Johannesson over the top, who was able to bounce a few times and run the length of the field and chip it over the top to Bond, who was able to paddle it a bit to himself and basketball bounce it a few times and then kick the winner to put them ahead with nine minutes left. I think that was a pretty big moment and a big moment for Bontempelli as well. I was almost considering picking one from that game. I was on the fence. It's it's hard, like you say, with finals because mm. every moment in them can be built up. So it's, it's, it is hard to find an underrated moment surrounding finals. Um, I did some research and I found a clip from, uh, it was from last year when GWS beat Collingwood to move for the first time into the grand final. And it's just this little snippet of a clip where you've got the... Uh, the Giants coaches box just going off their heads as they um, as they got in and um, and, this, and then it cuts to uh, old Eddie Maguire storming off, as, <laughs> which is always funny to see. And um, I found a comment on there too that said, um, "I hate Richmond, but I hate the AFL's love child more. Glad they got flogged the week after." <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was a bit of a gem to find. Yeah, I thought you were going to talk about Aiden Buchanan in the coach's box. He was the one who was going to like, just stick it up right Yeah, that must be. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I'll do the same signal team this year after the Giants missed the finals. But, uh, my one's also in recent years. Uh, it's from 2017, and it's from that uh, epic drawn and time-long final between West Coast and Port Adelaide. And everyone probably remembers uh, Luke Shuey's goal after the siren, but... A moment that was just as big, in my opinion, was late in the game uh, in Port Adelaide's forward line. Eric McKenzie, who was a really great fullback, who was just hampered by injuries to the point that he missed the 2015 Grand Final and 2018 Premiership. But scores were level, ball was near Port Adelaide's goal line, and they couldn't even concede a behind because Port Adelaide would have likely won. So what Eric McKenzie did is he took the ball and deliberately bumped into the goalpost so he could rush the ball over the boundary for a ball in. And to me, that was just the definition of finals footy, uh, putting your body on the line. And even though there's padding around those goalposts, they have no gives. So it was a really courageous act from him, which ultimately meant his team won that game. 
And that's all we have for this week. That's always credit to Kevin McLeod for the song District 4. It's the intro and outro song. You can find a link in the description. And to Fox Footy and Channel 7 for the commentary audio. Uh, well, it's a thrilling first week of finals and hopefully it can be followed up with uh, two really entertaining games. So all I really care about is a similar result from Saturday night <laughs> to happen again this week. But Finn, what are your thoughts heading into the weekend as we sign off? Yeah, um, similar to you, hoping for some good games and uh, it'd be good to see the Pies get the Cats, even though I've tipped the Cats, I think it'd be good for one of our teams to keep keep getting a run through the finals, so hoping for some close games and uh, some good footy. Yeah, only two games this week, so I've got pretty high expectations, Um, haven't got much else to lean back on and I hope I haven't cursed your boys there, Hamish.